I have to ask you a question off that last song before I dismiss our kids. It says, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Oftentimes on a Sunday morning, we base kind of what things are like by feeling. And I'll tell you, when I walked in this morning, I just felt blah. And I kind of was watching you all, and I think I'm not the only one. They're just kind of a blah. Maybe it's because the sun's taking a little longer to wake up in the morning, so we're taking a little longer to wake up in the morning. But I just pray that even if you can't quite feel it, know that God's working this morning. I'm going to dismiss our kids over here to the side. You see Bailey over there. Go ahead and move in that general direction. As they're going that way, I would like to ask you to open up the book of James. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25 today. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. If you have your digital device, I'd like for you to open that. If you have a paper Bible, go there because I'm going to be reading and I would like for you to be following along as you could. It says these words, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. That is our passage for this morning. If you were here last week, you might remember me saying this. James pulls no punches. James pulls no punches. He has a very practical approach. And what he had us look at last week was how we respond to trials. How do we respond to trials? Well, you may have seen it or heard it as I read it just now. But he shifts from how we respond to trials to how do we respond to God's truth. How do we respond to God's truth? Are we just hearers or are we doers as well? Will we obey what we are called to do? My guess is you know this, or, or maybe not, just because I'm a pastor, so I have my finger on the, the pulse of the church often, but the church being the global church, not just our church. Here's the thing. The church suffers from a crippling disease that seems to be found in some form or fashion in every part of of the body that makes up the body of Christ. It's a disease that affects the church's ability to make an impact in this world, and it literally can kill our testimony. It slows our production. It weakens our effectiveness. Some call this disease by a broad stroke. You know what they call it? Sin. If you want to narrow it down just a little bit, we call it selfishness. And if you want to go right and get right to the point, it's me. It's me. And it's, it's you. As we begin to look at this, this disease causes this fracture, and maybe a better word for it would be a canyon, between saying and accomplishing, between biblical knowledge and action, between, as James says it, hearing and doing. There's a fracture there. There's, there's, there's a, a, this, this blockade. This, this disease causes a blockade from, from me getting it inside of my head, and that word going from my head to my heart and beginning to just be more than just knowledge but change who I am and then that change who I am goes to my hands and my feet that I become a 
doer. Listen to how A.W. Tozer puts it in the book called The Root of Righteousness. It says these words, So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between the two of them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning sermon and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who had heard it would conclude that he has been examining two distinct and contrary religions. It appears too many Christians want to enjoy the thrill of feeling right but are not willing to endure the inconvenience of being right. So the divorce between theory and practice becomes permanent in fact Though the inward, the union is declared to be eternal. Truth sits forsaken and grieves till her professed followers come home for a brief visit, but she then sees them depart again when the bills become due. There's a gap. People see it. People know it. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25 is saying these words. Eliminate the gap. Eliminate the gap. Obey God's word. Eliminate the gap between knowledge and in action. Don't just be content about hearing the word, but also act on it. Do it. This is what we might call the journey of obedience. And that is a long journey of obedience. And as we begin to look, we'll see that journey of obedience really is what this passage is all about. You'll also see throughout this passage is what obedience do we have? Well, it's the word of God. Because in 19 through 25, you'll see the word of God mentioned in verse 21. 22, 23, and 25. And then if you go back to the end of last week in verse 18, you'll see it there as well. Remember, we have moved from how to respond in trials to how do we respond to the truth of God. We look at 19 through 25, and James gives us really three ways that we are to respond to the truth of God. I'm going to give them to you up front. That way, if you shut off, if you have goldfish, you know, memory kind of thing going on today, I'm going to give you all three right up front. It is this. Receive the word humbly. Remember the word continually. And obey the word completely. So it is receive God's word humbly. It is remember God's word continually. And obey God's word completely. Those are the three things. So let's start by, by looking at verses 19 through 21. And that idea of receiving the word humbly. In verse 19, James uses this phrase. He says, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Basically saying, hurry up and listen. Hurry up and listen. Then he also throws in at the end of that, be slow to speak or be quiet. So hurry up, listen, and be quiet. How many times do we approach anything that way? If we approach Facebook that way in our response to somebody, things would probably be different in our lives. If we changed the way we approach a person in an argument, things would be different. But what he's talking about here is how we approach God. He says, I want you to be humble as you approach the word. Don't come with your defenses up. Don't come with preconceived ideas because we all know we come with our defenses up What does that lead to? It leads to anger. It leads to these ideas of resistance to what God's word is actually trying to say. He says, don't come with these preconceived ideas telling God's word what it needs to say. 
telling God that this is the way we should filter these things. Don't come to God's word trying to justify yourself and your actions. What's he say to do? He says, listen. Listen. The problem is when we approach God, we often approach it the same way we approach any argument. And I'm not sure if you've ever been in an argument like this before, but we have this, um, oh, what's the, what's the best way to put it? We have our own ideas and we don't listen to the other person. It doesn't matter how loud they yell. We're not listening to them. We're only thinking about how I can respond so I can win. Anybody ever been in an argument like that before? You don't have to raise your hands because I know it's everybody. The thing is, is that we do that with God. Somehow assuming that God is wrong. And we approach him in this way and it brings up all of these issues inside of us because we're not quick to listen. We are not slow to speak. As a matter of fact, we hate listening and we are just chomping at the bit to argue with God. Say, God, you don't understand. And he just sits back and goes, okay, whatever, whatever, that's fine. You, You tell me what you think. We hear the verses that we don't agree with in the Bible. And our immediate response is, is how can I get around that? How can I get around that? And that's been the case really throughout every generation of God's people. Instead of humbly listening to God's word, we resist it. Go back to Old Testament prophets. How well were they received when God's word was brought through them to God's people? Go to the words of Jesus. As he spoke about the Father, how was he received? The response of Paul when he would speak the truth in the synagogues, how is he received? Really, when you look throughout Scripture, you will see the fact that those who proclaim the word of God don't often get embraced and accepted by the world. And even more so, by the church sometimes. And that's a hard place to be as somebody who wants to proclaim the word. James says to the people of God, you've got to be quick to listen and you've got to be slow to speak. Come humbly And then he follows it up with something even heavier. He says, get rid of all that moral filth and evil that you've got on you. Because when he says get rid of, he's actually using a description of taking off the garment, of taking off a layer of clothing. That layer of clothing is the moral filth that we've got on us. And as you begin to look at that, I start to think of this loaded question. I'm like, maybe I should even ask it. Because this is one of those things that may not get received well. But think about this. How many ideas and beliefs do we bring from the world into our lives and into our church that are in direct conflict with the word of God? Yeah, sings a little bit, doesn't it? Because it's a lot. Let's be honest, the truth of the word of God stands in complete opposition to the world's way of thinking. So as we start to think about that, James says, hey, you gotta put that aside. You gotta take it off. The sinful and selfish ideas of the world that that are there need to be taken off and you have to come humbly to the word of God and let it change you. See, when we read those passages that are going to challenge us and confront us, we need to stop trying to figure out a way around them. We need to figure out how they're going to work in us because the goal of Scripture is not to get around it. It is to change us and go deeper in it so we can grow closer to Him. So why do we try so hard to avoid the challenges that come with Scripture? Why do we try and come up with every excuse that we can Second part of verse 21 reiterates that first point when he says, hey, you need to come humbly. He actually says, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word of God has been implanted in you. Now, that's an interesting statement. And you might wonder, well, where does James come up with this wording from? Well, there's some pastors that say we need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. 
And I'll be very honest with you. I've been reading the Old Testament now for nine months, almost 10. And on October 1st, my reading plan switches over to the New Testament. I am looking forward to October 1st because the Old Testament can be brutal. But at the same time, it is very appropriate in leading us to see the connection between the New Testament and the New Testament writers so much that we can't just toss it aside or to use the word unhitch. To properly understand what James is saying, you have to look at Jeremiah 31 first. Jeremiah the prophet was speaking to the people who were not living up to God's law. As a matter of fact, it says they couldn't. They could not live up to the law. And so Jeremiah gives them this promise in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 33. It says, look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah... This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke even though I'm their master, the Lord's declaration. Instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, the Lord's declaration. I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, according to this prophecy, God was going to write his law on the hearts of his people or as james says he's going to implant it go to another old testament book ezekiel another old testament prophet says the same thing in ezekiel 36 24 through 7 uh, 27 he says for i will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and i will bring you into your own land i will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean i will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all of your idols I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statues and carefully observe my ordinances. So God is going to put his law in our hearts. God is going to put a spirit into our hearts. And the spirit of God, through the word of God, is going to do what? It's going to cause us to move to action, to follow his ordinance, carefully observe them, follow his statutes. This is what it says. And what it's going to say is our heart is going to find life. The word of God is the spiritual blood that flows through our heart that gives us life. It is the spiritual oxygen that fills our lungs that gives us life. And as we receive it humbly and we submit to it, we experience its full power. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We have to remember it is speaking to us, and it's not just speaking to us, it's implanting itself in us, and it is changing us to be more like Him. So number one, the first thing we have to do is we can't argue with God and say, well, God, that's not the way I think it should be. We receive it humbly, which leads to number two, we remember the word continually. We remember the word continually. This point ties in well with a point that we respond in humility in verse 19 through 21. If you jump down to verse 25, you're going to see that James talks about a man who looks intently into the law of freedom. He looks intently. That phrase, looks intently, can be used to refer to stooping down and closely looking at something. Now, I was going to be the observation here. I was going to be the illustration, but if I stoop down into a catcher squat, I will finish my sermon in that position because I'm not standing back up. So I will use one of my four littles who they all love to get down and look. But Levi, my little guy Levi, he, he has lots of nicknames. But one that fits him so well is Captain Curious. 
because he's always looking into something. It doesn't matter if you're bringing groceries in from Walmart, he's looking in the bags. It doesn't matter if there's something on the ground. If he sees it, he will stop. He will, I was going to do it, I'm not going to do it. He will squat down and he will get inches away and he will observe every aspect of that thing. He will look at it, he'll poke it. Sometimes he should, sometimes he shouldn't. But he will do it and he'll get so he sees all of it. He'll take it all in. Well, this is what James is telling us to do with the Word of God. He says, I want you to take it all in. In the busyness of your schedules, in the busyness of our lives, we need to just stop. It doesn't matter where I'm walking with Levi. If he sees something, he's stopping. And he's squatting. And I'm like, not now. Now's not the time. But he'll do it anyway because he's going to take it all in. I'm a busy guy. I want to move. I don't have time to stop. James says, we have to take time to stop. We have to take time to take it all in. We have to look at every aspect of it and examine it. We have to read it. We have to study it. Too often, we are content with the verse of the day on the Bible app. We read it, we put it aside, and we move on. If even that. We need to dive into the Word. The Word here that says, look intently, actually takes on the idea of looking with penetrating absorption. It's saying, absorb the Word absorb the word the person who absorbs the word that perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do so isn't going to forget what they hear now you may have seen that i jumped from 21 down to 25 go back up to 23 and 24 as it talks about this idea of the person who absorbs it and the person who does not the comparison between the person who looks intently and the person who does not the analogy here is actually pretty funny the analogy here is a guy who looks at himself in the mirror and walks away and completely forgets what he looks like. Now, sometimes you might be like, well, is my hair out of place? I worry about that all the time. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thinking that we kind of picture this. No, this is, I walk back by the mirror and I'm like, who's that handsome guy? Oh, geez, that's me. I didn't recognize, you know, that's the kind of thinking that James is bringing here, that they completely forget who they are. And he says, when we look at the word, we can't completely forget what it is and who he is and what he's doing. When we look at God's word, we can't just let it go. We have to remember it constantly. We have to remember it continually. We have to remember it always. The second point, second command of this command, it, it really also takes us back to the Old Testament. Again, ties in. You'll find in the book of Deuteronomy, God gives his people the law again. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Deuteronomy actually means a repetition of the law or the second law. So he's giving the law again. And in chapter 6 and in chapter 8, we can go through the whole thing. As a matter of fact, we'll be doing a baby dedication in the not too distant future. We, we tie these verses in about we teach the word and we write it on the back of our hand. We, we have it in our hearts he says, don't forget the word in chapter 6. He says, don't forget the word in chapter 8. It's like Psalm 119.11. I know most of you guys have read Psalm 119. You probably have the whole thing memorized. We'll talk about that here shortly. But in Psalm 119.11, it says this, I have treasured your word in my heart, or I have hid your word in my heart. You know what the outcome of that is supposed to be? That I might not sin against you. I have that word in my heart so I might not sin. He says, get that word in your heart. Get it stuck in your mind. Look at Scripture. Dive into Scripture. Memorize Scripture. 
Now, I know different people have different abilities, and I hear it all the time. Well, I just, I can't memorize Scripture. And I get it. I get that memorization part. When I used to have to do that as a kid and a wanna and all those kind of things, I struggled at it. But you know what I don't struggle at? I don't struggle memorizing movie lyrics or movie titles and movie quotes and things like that. I don't struggle with song lyrics either. As a matter of fact, songs pop into my head right here, right now, that I've been in there for 30 years. No problem. Boom. You say something, all of a sudden I'm like, <laughs> song. I did it last week. I know Reese got it because I was talking about the relationships. I don't do ships, relationships. And he's like, yeah, from Lego Batman. My kids know that. Reese obviously knew that. But sometimes we just, we know those things. Why do we struggle so much with Scripture? Why is it so hard to memorize Scripture? You know, kids all over, they're, they're memorizing Scripture for Starbucks, whatever store they're going to. Whatever thing they're getting at Awana or whatever thing they do in the midweek, they're getting those kind of things. Well, if I was tossed out $100 bills for every verse that you memorized, my guess is you'd start cranking it out. You'd be like, I'm doing it, especially with this inflation. I am memorizing Scripture. Psalm 19, 9 and 10 says this, though. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold and sweeter than the honey dripping from a honeycomb. According to this passage, the word of God is more desirable than gold. Can I ask you this question right here? How much do you value Scripture? How much do you value Scripture? Do we value it more than all the things that we think are gold? Do we want to memorize it more than the other stuff that we commit to our memory? Because it would seem that when we commit things to, matter, to memory, it means that it matters in some way. What matters most? How much do you value Scripture? If all we do is listen to the Word, when we come together for corporate worship, then we are like this someone in verses 23 and 24. We listen and we leave, and by the end of the day, we've forgotten. It's gone. It doesn't change you. It doesn't affect you. And it doesn't change or do anything to anybody around you. So what good is it? I know it's a tough question to ask as I sit here on Sunday morning and go, why are you here? Because I hope it's to grow in the Lord and be challenged and join in corporate worship and be growing together and held accountable. But I'm just going to go out on a limb here. And maybe the reason so many people and so many churches go against the Word of God in their lives because they don't know the Word of God. They may claim to have heard it. They may claim to have a Bible sitting on their end table, but it only gets used when they forget their phone to be able to look at possibly at that point in time. How do we move into that? How do we get so deceived into thinking that just hearing it is going to do us well enough? Well, that's what verse 22 talks about as we look at our third point. First was receive the Word humbly. Then it was remember the word continually. And now, to obey the word completely. Obey the word completely. Wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Totally. James 1.22 is the theme of this book, by the way. The entire book revolves around this right here when it says these words. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You have not really listened to the word if you're not obeying the word. That's a... That's a stinging point right there. The bottom line is the word awakens action. 
The word in our life will awaken action. If there is no action from the word, there's probably no actually acceptance of the word. You're like, well, hang on. Wait, just give me a second. Because this is the essence of faith. James 2, that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks, goes into more detail about it, but I even see it here in James 1. It says, those who have accepted Jesus, obey Jesus. To think any different is to live in deception. You've not accepted anything if it's not coming to life through your actions. It's kind of like put your money where your mouth is kind of mentality. Um, you know, I can say I have all the faith in the world in that stool that is right there. But until I sit in it, it doesn't matter what I say. It's my actions that say what I need them to say. Now, obviously, none of us are perfect. But the picture here is when you accept the word of Jesus, when you receive that word of Jesus humbly, when you let it be planted into you, it's going to move you to action. It's going to move you to action, and you can tell the word is in you by what is happening outside of you. If there's nothing happening on the outside of us, then the question truly is, is there anything happening on the inside of us? Because the word of God is powerful and life-changing. We've already talked about that. This is what God has promised in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. This is what he's saying. I'm going to put my word in you and it's going to change everything in you. As you accept it and apply it, it will show itself in your life. It almost sounds similar to, well, Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. One of the things you'll notice if you read James, you read the Sermon on the Mount, um, you might know that James is the brother of Jesus, but he did not believe in Jesus till after the resurrection. But he was at the Sermon on the Mount, and he was hearing the Word of God. And it obviously affected him after he became a believer. But listen to what he says here in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does what? And it does the will of my Father in heaven. Not hears the will, does the will. That's why he closes up the whole Sermon on the Mount when he says this in verses 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, do you see that? And acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Heard and applied. Heard and applied. However, to those who hear the words of mine and do not act on them, do not put them into practice. By the way, who is he speaking to here? Who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to followers of his. He's not talking to a bunch of, bunch of pagans that don't know anything about the word of God at all. He's talking to followers of his. He says these words. He says, you are building your house on sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the wind blew and pounded that house, and guess what happened to it? It collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Please don't miss what Jesus is saying and James is reiterating. If your life is built on just listening to the words of Jesus alone, your life will ultimately end in destruction. That's what it says. If your life is built on Sunday after Sunday listening to the words of Jesus and that is it, that's where it stops. The end is destruction. I posted this quote from David Platt on our Facebook and Instagram accounts this week, but I'm going to read it to you again. Says, I am frighteningly convinced that countless people within the church listen to the word week by week, yet it is not planted in their heart, and it's evident because they are not acting on it. Sure, they act on the things they agree with in their lifestyle, or act on when it's convenient to obey, 
But when the word confronts, challenges, convicts, or tries to change them, they put it aside and forget it, never putting it into action. We have to be careful because somewhere along the lines, people began to describe the Christian life as this. As long as I go to church, as long as I hear the word, I am good. As long as I say a prayer, as long as I walk an aisle, I am good. If the word has not taken plant in your life, if the seed has not been planted, Jesus talks about that in the parable too, be careful. Because that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is doing what God says. That is our response to the salvation that he's given us. James is saying there's another way in verse 25. The one who looks intently. I pointed that part out, but I didn't talk about the second part. He says, into the perfect law of freedom. Now, when he says the perfect law of freedom, he doesn't use the word word here. But he's also not referring to the Old Testament Mosaic law. He's talking about the law that has been perfected by Christ. Perfected in Christ. The words of Christ and the truth of Christ that liberate and free us. So that's why he called the law of freedom. Of course, as soon as you start talking about obedience, in modern Christianity, what's the first word that comes to mind? Starts with legal and ends with ism. Anyone? Legalism, yes. There's that idea that I have to do something. That is not what James is driving us to. As a matter of fact, when we hear the word legalism, we run away. Like, I can't do that. This is all about Christ's love. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. But here's what we have to understand. James is saying, don't run from the law. Run to it. The law that brings freedom. It's what Psalm 119 is talking about in verse 32 when it says, I pursue the way of your commands for you broaden my understanding. See, legalism drives us to do what we have to do to be accepted. We do it for an end result. We're trying to earn something. Here we see a freedom. We do it because we are free. Because we realize it's not about what I can muster up to try and obey the law. It is the word that is planted in us. It is the word that is driving us and moving us to follow the law by the grace of God. And as he moves us towards it, the commands of Christ change us in such a way that it causes us to look perfectly into that perfect law or look intently into that perfect law. And if we continue to do this, or James uses the word persevere, not forgetting what he's heard, but instead doing it, he says, you're going to be blessed in what you do. Now you might say, well, that, that sounds like the blessing of God is conditional on obedience. Are you saying that God's blessing in my life is conditional on my obedience? I will say, I am not saying that. I will say, James is. I will say, Jesus does. I'll say, the Bible does. That's who says it. I mean, we have created this picture of Christianity that stops at saying Jesus loves you just the way you are and Jesus loves you no matter what you do and it stops right there. Now, please know this. There is an amazing truth wrapped up in amazing grace when it comes to Jesus saving us from our sins. That Jesus does love you no matter who you are and no matter what you have done. And there's nothing we can do to earn or deserve that amazing love. We don't live, we don't work, and we don't try to earn the favor of God. But, but, the reality is, Jesus says this in John 15, 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. John 15, 10. If you obey my word, you will remain in my love. 1 John 2, 4. John says, if you claim to know Christ, but you don't obey his commands, you are a... You know what that word is? You might have heard it. Liar. And the truth is not in you. That's some strong language. That's some strong language, but what does it mean? How do we put it all together? How do we avoid legalism and be moved towards the, the 
following of Christ without trying to earn the favor of Christ and give ourselves in such a way. We'll go back to verse 21 again where he says, humbly receive the word implanted in you, which is able to save your souls. I want you to see this again because maybe you didn't catch it. I'll read the whole verse this time when it says, therefore, ridding yourself of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly, what's that next word? Receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Salvation comes by receiving the word of God, by receiving Christ. Here's the big picture. God, by his grace, puts his word in our hearts and his spirit in our hearts, and he moves us to obey so that in our salvation, we understand that it involves obedience. It's not obedience that is, that is something we have to do because we're trying to earn God's favor. It's obedience that's grounded in grace and work of God as he works his word in our hearts. It's not about what we can do to muster up the favor of God, but instead, understanding he's doing all the work and it's playing out in our actions. This is how we experience the blessing of God. When we receive the word humbly, when we understand to remember it continually, let it absorb itself into our lives, it comes out and it shows itself as we continue to obey it completely. One of the phrases I think that causes me to, to tilt my head, scratch my head as a pastor is the ones that Christians sometimes use that says this. Well, what's most important is that I'm willing to obey the word. I, I, I'm willing to. And again, there's some truth in there because really God does desire a willing heart. But nowhere in Scripture does God call us to stop at being willing. What's he call us to do? Obey. Obey him. He calls us and commands us to obey him. He doesn't say, be willing to help the poor. You know what he says? Help the poor. He doesn't say, be willing to share the gospel. He says, share the gospel. He doesn't say, be willing to turn away from your impurities and seek holiness. He says, be holy. That is our command. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful not to hide ourselves behind this idea of willingness to obey when God says, don't just be willing, do it. Do it. All right? Do it. Some of you guys are in movies just popped in your mind. I know. I know. See, I told you. Don't just listen. I have planted your word, my word in you. I put my spirit in you to accomplish the things that I've called you to do. I've called you to obey. I've commanded you to obey. So do it. That's the Christian life. So when I thought about doing the book of James a few months ago, I think this particular message was the one that was weighing most heavy on me. And the reason why it was weighing most heavy on me is this. I know for a fact there are people in this room right here, right now. I know for a fact there's people watching online right here, right now that are struggling with what to do with what God's called them to do. Maybe it's been just today. You're like, well, God's been saying this, but. And we're throwing in those excuses. Or maybe it's been years of God's been telling me to do this, but. And we throw in those excuses. I'm worried it might take me out of my comfort zone. I, I might, it might challenge me to invest my time and my money in a different place. And I don't want to pay that price. If I, if I do this, it's going to change the dynamics of my schedule. It's going to change the dynamics of my life. It's going to change the dynamics of my family. And I don't really want that. God, I hear you, but I don't want to put it into practice. Is that you? Maybe it's just an area of disobedience a habit. You just don't want to give up. I, 
I don't, I don't want that to be in my life. But there it is. Can I challenge you to turn from that? Maybe it's an area of delayed obedience. Maybe it's something like a relationship or work at home or some decision that you have to make. It may be small, it may be huge, but you're sitting there and you're pausing. Can I just pray this over you by the grace of God? I pray that His Spirit would awaken your heart this morning. They would open your eyes and say, I need to obey God. I need to obey Him. He has given me grace to obey Him. He's given me everything I need to obey Him. Now I just have to act on it. And in no way am I encouraging you to just do something crazy without thinking or avoid godly counsel or anything like that. But I do want to encourage you, if God is speaking to you today, I pray today, September 24th, is a marker in your life you said, okay, I'm going to do it. I encourage you as your pastor to do it. You know the Spirit of God. You know what He's been saying. You know what you're supposed to do according to His Word, but yet you're stalling. You're stagnant. The excuse of, well, I'm just, I'm just not sure. What will other people think? Is this really His best? And they're all good questions. But if we're not careful, they'll be the ones that stall us when it comes to obedience to the Word of God. I don't have any more flash paper. I'd say burn the ships, throw another fireball out there at you. Because that's, that's where it's at. Our excuses get in the way. Don't let the worry of what if cause you to do nothing at all. If you're receiving the Word humbly, listening to it, absorbing it, I want you to be confident in the truth of the Word of God that is planted in your heart that is going to lead you and it is going to guide you. As a matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't rely on your own understanding. In all of your ways know Him, and He will make your path straight. That's it. What about John fifteen five, When it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me, or what's that word that we don't use except for this scripture? Abide. Abide in me. And I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. James is saying, hear and do. Abide in him, abide in his words, and when he speaks, obey. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, even when it's hard, even when it's a challenge, even when it goes against my way of thinking. Far too often I worry about what other people are going to think. Far too often I worry about what if I'm not in control? Far too often I worry about how this is going to affect the rest of my life. But God, I can honestly say that when I took that step of obedience and obeyed what you've called me to do, my life has been better for it. I don't know why I continue to struggle and look at things and say, but help me to obey. God, I'm sure this isn't my prayer alone. I'm sure it's prayers of other people right here in this room. Help us to obey. You've given us the grace. You've given us the mercy. You've given us your word in our hearts. God, may that word change us. Change us to be obedient followers of you that share the gospel, that help the poor, that do the things you've called us to, all for your glory and not our own. We pray it in your name. Amen. I am going to jump down here in the front.
And if you would like to talk about obedience, if you talk about something that God is calling you to do that you've been hesitant on, I would love to talk to you. If, by chance, you're in this room and you've never even heard of Jesus before and this is the first time you're hearing all this, I want to talk to you for sure. I want to tell you about who Jesus is and the freedom that we have in Him that draws us to obey and follow. It's not about working to try and earn our salvation. It's working from our salvation. I'll be down here in the front. We'll be seeing this.